Broadcasting live from Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm Garrett Strother. And man, oh man, do we have one really good movie to talk about today and two movies total to talk about today. (laughs) A movie that is made better by the goodness of the other movie? Yeah, kind of. I I would probably say you're right, but... I mean, before we get too far into the old 007 talk, why don't we jump into our little bit of news this week? Up first... A movie that's still happening, apparently. Fantastic Beasts, <laughs> colon, The Secret of Dumbledore, The Secrets of Dumbledore, rather, is coming out April 2022. So, I get ready. I know you are famously a hyper fan <laughs> of the Fantastic Beasts franchise. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I've, I have successfully avoided everything Harry Potter post The Deathly Hallows Part 2. I've, like, that was, like, the moment I walked out of that theater, I was like, well, that's the last I'll ever really need of this franchise, so... The I only you... way you could have lucked out more than that, Seamus, is if you had stopped after <laughs> Deathly Hallows Part 1. Oh, man. You know, I I was up on those books as a boy. I wanted to see it. I, I was obviously, you know, not super... I mean, I thought the last one was fine, but, you know, I know you've seen these new ones, the the Fantastic Beasts movies. I, I'd love to know, are you going to see The Secrets of Dumbledore? Absolutely not. After, <laughs> I have never been more upset about a theatrical experience, I think, than I went to, we went to go see Crimes of Grindelwald opening day in IMAX. We were, like, the only people in the theater. Um... <laughs> That movie, everything about it is bad. Every single thing about it is bad. I, I literally heard zero good stuff about that movie, so I maybe this will be the last little fizzle out of the films of, of the Fantastic Beasts. I know they're still planning on doing, like, a video game. And my interest in these Fantastic Beasts and, like, the live-action nature of Harry Potter is so out the window it's just it doesn't it doesn't register with me anymore yeah i absolutely do not care i'm excited about the video game did you ever play those old the harry potter like pc ps2 gamecube era harry potter games i, I had the quidditch world cup one for gamecube oh, hell yeah love that game and then i used to play the lego harry potter like I, not just the oh, lego harry potter not just the newer ones but i also had the, they used to have a pc lego harry potter where the legos were like still yellow Oh no way! That those that golden era of Lego PC games on like Windows ninety eight. Yeah, it was <laughs> hell yeah. I did play the the years one through four Harry Potter game. Right. Yes. Yes. Was that the era of Lego games where they just started like ripping dialogue from the movies with like sound effects in the background, or is it still like weird silent stuff? I think the first one is still grunting, and I think the second one maybe has dialogue. I think they, they oh, straddle the divide. <laughs> oh, weird. Ah, yeah, maybe I'll pick those up. The, the, I, like, I like Harry Potter, just couldn't care about Fantastic Beasts. Well, speaking of weird animation voice choices, <laughs> oh, we've got the new Mario cast for the animated Mario movie from Illumination <laughs> Pictures. And in case that sentence didn't sound cursed enough, Buckle up. (laughs) Okay, starting with the man himself, Mario is being played by Chris Pratt. Luigi is Charlie Day. We got Peach is Anya Taylor-Joy. Bowser is being played by Jack Black. Donkey Kong is played by Seth Rogen. Toad is Keegan-Michael Key, which I actually kind of love. And Cranky Kong is Fred Armisen. A lot of people are mad because... Like, obviously, Chris Pratt's not Italian, and he's just a weird choice for Mario, which I agree, but I also think it's for marketing reasons. But you have voice actors for all these characters already that have been doing it for decades. Like, iconic voice actors, mind you. A lot of these people feel like they are casting what-if-a-live-action version of Mario, because Anya Taylor-Joy looks like Peach. Sure, yeah. Seth Rogen looks like Donkey Kong. <laughs> um, <laughs> you ass. <laughs> um, I'm just saying, but he's got his hair all tall, you know? Have you, have you seen those Jack Black TikToks? He's a maniac. He'll do weird Bowser stuff. When we were first talking about this Mario movie, I was like, I hope they don't... I wanted it to, like, not be voiced for the most part. I wanted it to be, like, 
Like, I just want Mario to say, let's go, you know, like, that's all I wanted. But now I'm looking at this cast, and I'm thinking the the real win here would be if all of these incredibly famous people literally just made the... <laughs> like, just Chris Pratt saying, it's-a-me, Mario, and that's all he does for this movie. Just does the jumping noises of him going, like... And that's it. <laughs> that's all I want. You do a good Mario, Seamus. They should have hired oh, you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Oh, I, I have a passion for those old Mario games, man. I, wa- I want some fun turnip Easter eggs in this. You're totally right. Why didn't they just do this, like, Buster Keaton style? It's just a largely yeah. silent film. Like, go get Paul King, who did the Paddington movies. Bring him in. In the Mario games, we don't need, like, scenes of dialogue to understand that Peach is going to get kidnapped and Mario is going to go save her. Like you said, it's like that silent comedy jokes, the the facial expressions of, like, a surprised Mario and some surprising shell stuff happens or whatever. But they're going to go all big with it and it's going to be like Detective Pikachu where it's, like, too many cheeky jokes in a row that are just, like, exhausting. If I thought a casting choice couldn't get more insufferable than Ryan Reynolds' Pikachu... You don't think the end of this movie, the after credit scene, is going to be Ryan Reynolds' Detective Pikachu clapping his little hands and going, I want to talk to you about the Smash Brothers initiative. You don't think that's where this is going? They casted so many characters. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> sure, Mario Brothers movie, everyone will go see that. Smash Brothers movie, like, Bloodsport style, where it's like a fighting tournament movie, that that would actually be kind of maybe great. Okay, in the vein of absolutely terrible <laughs> casting, who is Link? I almost want to say, like, Chalamet, where they're trying to get, like, a, like way above the pay grade of being in a, a Mario-esque movie but still, like, kind of young with the wispy hair. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. But that might even be too, like, because this cast is still, like, mostly, like, comedians, too. I've got it. What you got? It's Tom Holland. Ah, yep, that's exactly who it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100% correct, yes. I wasn't really already excited about this movie, but now I'm really not excited about this movie. I, I was excited enough to be like, oh, it could be a fun experiment, but that was, like, contingent on... Are they going to make it mostly silent with their classic, like, catchphrases thrown out there? But, yeah, now this is going to be genuinely pretty insufferable. Both of our pieces of news today were just kind of, like, bummers of the entertainment (laughs) industry. (laughs) Like, Fantastic Beasts and the pre-botched Mario movie are two things that are just... (laughs) I'm out of here, man. I want to... Let's move on to 007. This week's main segment, we're going to be covering the first two Daniel Craig James Bond movies, Casino Royale and its direct sequel, Quantum of Solace. Right off the bat, Seamus, let's get some spoiler-free talk out of the way about both of these films. What are your thoughts? What's your history with them? I definitely remember my dad was pretty pumped when these new ones were coming out. He, he's like a lifelong Bond fan, grew up in like the golden era of Bond movies, and I kind of got a little bit of that periphery. We'd get some, you know, James Bond VHS tapes from the library, and but I saw, I think I saw both of these movies in theaters, like, opening weekend, maybe, when I was still pretty young, but I remember being absolutely floored by how good Casino Royale specifically was, and, you know, even back then, I was still, as a kid, pretty impressed with Quantum of Solace, and I, I think that might also be a form of attachment to the Quantum of Solace video game, which was also basically just the Casino Royale video game. So I definitely have a little bit of my wires crossed, but revisiting them for this episode this week, I I really had a blast. Even with, you know, Quantum of Solace being a little less impressive than I remember, I still still enjoyed a, a good amount of it. But what about you, man? Well, first of all, Seamus, you were really out here at six years old watching Daniel Craig drown a man in a sink. Oh, hell yeah, man. Watching that torture scene, I was just like, damn, this is pretty rough. Just like a <laughs> wide-eyed child. Yeah, I I hadn't seen these for a while. I didn't see these until probably, you know, around the time Skyfall came out. There was always an allure to them for me because I'd seen other Bonds, a lot of other Bonds before I'd seen these Bonds because they were so much more intense. So I'd right. seen a lot of Roger Moore Bonds. I'd seen a couple of Conneries. I'd seen uh, probably Goldeneye. Maybe die another day. You're not a Brosnan man? No, I am a Brosnan man. Goldeneye died another day. That's, um... Oh, of course, of course. 
Goldeneye being the only good Brosnan film, Goldeneye was directed by the same guy who directed Casino Royale because Martin Campbell did such a good job directing Pierce Brosnan's first Bond outing, which is really one of the best Bond movies, period, I'd say, that they wanted to bring him back to bring in the Craig era. And I think he did an amazing job. That was a great choice. Oh, yeah. Because, I I, I mean, Casino Royale is amazing. I double-featured these on Wednesday this week, and then on Friday... They were showing Casino Royale at AMC for $5, and there was no, nobody bought tickets yet, and I was like, you know what? I've been back to the movies right before the pandemic. I had tickets already to go see No Time to Die back when it was supposed to come out in April 2020. Obviously, I didn't get to do that. So I went and saw it again. I watched Casino Royale twice this week, and I am so glad I went. I got a couple of my friends to come with me, one of whom who had never even seen a Bond movie before. And it was an exceptional time. I love Casino Royale. And Quantum, I am an apologist for, because I think that there were a lot of things going into that movie that were out of the control. Like, the reasons it's bad are kind of unavoidable. Yeah, it was kind of a a cocktail of bad timing and following up from a movie that is such a dynamite starter too it's hard to follow that kind of movie especially with the circumstances behind the production itself also with quantum of solace though i would say it was the one that had a more allure to me growing up because there's the allure of it's the first bond movie that's a direct sequel to the previous bond movie it picks up right where the first one left off and i thought that sounded amazing because this is before the era of cinematic universes and the idea of a, a famously disconnected franchise like James Bond having this kind of direct sequel energy sounded so cool. And I never played the Quantum of Solace video game, but I do vividly remember how cool the giant poster in the Toys R Us uh, oh, video game yeah. area was. <laughs> where it's him walking with his gun with the exploding barrels behind him and it says like, Quantum of Solace on PS2, you know? Yeah, man. Oh, there's definitely a lot of something to there. I feel like there's definitely a lot of marketing behind Quantum of Solace. Maybe it was because of the weird, volatile circumstances. And they were like, we really have to make sure that this specific thing is making money at this moment. Because there's a lot going into this and a lot behind it. And a a very big potential disaster if it doesn't do as well as it could. And it did really well. It made about the same amount as Casino Royale, despite being much worse than, <laughs> than Casino Royale. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was also, good. I, I learned while I was doing research for this show, it was edited in like six weeks or something. Oh my god, really? Yeah, so that Just explains that a lot the of the, thi- the editing choices in Quantum of Solace, <laughs> yeah. which I think are one of the bigger problems with that movie. Yeah, I, I, would, I would probably agree with you on that. What do you think of of Craig as a Bond? Where does he fall for you, Seamus? Well, he's definitely, in my mind, he's sad Bond. He's truly just, like, nothing good. And, I mean, like, maybe a lot of bad stuff happens to the older generations of James Bond as well. But he, like, Craig Bond is the first Bond that I can remember who, like, maybe cares if the random woman he's sleeping with gets killed and, like, it affects him through a couple movies, maybe, and drives a little more instead of it just being like a surprise piece so there's like more emotionality behind this bond than i feel like in the past for sure and there are still great moments of like that james bond swagger that don't really get diminished by that when he's trying to be that you know charming super spy honeypot sleeping with the woman to get information you know the the suave is still there for sure yeah, I like that this is really the first Bond movie where he has a complete character arc, Casino Royale, I mean. Yeah. And they try to continue it. it. They'd make a valiant attempt in Quantum of Solace, which I will <laughs> discuss more during spoilers. Yeah, they tried. They really did. And I like this interpretation of Bond. I really like his Bond feels so different than other mm-hmm. Bonds because I think the three Bonds that really stand out are Connery, Moore, and Craig as bonds that have their very distinct personalities. Craig's, I mean, they say it a million times in this movie, this blunt instrument, this Mm -hmm, man hardened by years of killing and going off of our 
broadcasting location at the top of the episode <laughs> is so clearly a reaction to Jason Bourne. That Bond has oh, always yeah. been this franchise that reacts to what's popular at the time. So Roger Moore, his movies specifically, you look at Spy Who Loved Me, which came out in the late 70s. Uh, a couple of years after Jaws came out, and it's this aquatic-themed film where the main henchman is literally named Jaws. You look at Moonraker, <laughs> yeah. which came out a few years after Star Wars, where it's all set in space, and there's MI6 agents with jetpacks and lasers. And, <laughs> yeah. And those are more extreme examples. I'd say the more ones are the guiltiest of them, but the fact that they decided they needed to take Bond into the 21st century, and I think Casino Royale is leagues ahead of any Bourne movie. They definitely pulled oh, it yeah. off. Hell yeah. I, I I couldn't argue with that point at all. Bringing Martin Campbell back for Casino, and we will talk specifically Casino in one second. The ideas that he's playing with in Casino Royale about Bond as an outdated relic of Bond as a misogynist, as hyper-violent, are things that he's setting up all the way back in GoldenEye, if you rewatch GoldenEye. Mm. He has a very similar conversation with M to the conversation that he has with M at the beginning of Casino. No kidding. I need to really... I haven't seen GoldenEye in so, so long, but we'd like to go back and see that kind of comparison. Because taking that born approach, taking that more serious, grounded approach to Bond is the thing that allows you to crack open him as a character and reckon with all of those things in a way that's never been done before and pr frankly hasn't been done since. I'm definitely excited to to go through the other two and to see this new one at the finale of of Craig Bond. I'm hoping that they can kind of stick the landing with a lot of what they were setting up the the goods that we can see in Casino Royale. I I want this to have as good of a send-off as it did uh, a starting point even if there were uh, some bumps along the way. I really, really like Casino Royale. I think it's probably my favorite Bond movie. I think over the course of this week, I've come to realize how much I care for it and how good it is at being both a Bond movie and a reinvention of the genre, which we'll talk about more in just one moment. Wow, that's pretty big. Honestly, I, I, I still might even say Skyfall is maybe tied, if not an inch of ahead, but rewatching casino it was truly a revelation i i haven't like experienced casino royale with this bigger respect for james bond and this you know more maturity behind what i actually know about movies and what i was impressed with when i was way younger is still you know impressing me and now i know why that this movie is actually like very well done and isn't just a another campy step in you know the james bond line they like you said reinvention is definitely the best way to put that and quantum of solace is a nice follow-up to casino if an underwhelming one and that if you're watching sure. casino you might as well pop on quantum i'd say yeah i i agree with that it's still definitely you know not terrible but maybe not the worst craig bond that's for sure <laughs> Yeah, that's. I'll agree with that. No contest. We'll get to that next week. Are we Are we doing one movie at a time, or do you want to Do you want to jump around both? Especially these two, so connected on either end. It's It's very It's very worth because these are the movies where we're setting up this Treadstone. What is the organization even called? Quantum Spectre. Is I don't know. Quantum is Spectre in the background. Well, because, okay, we're marking official spoilers. Yes. In the second movie, you find out that Lashif was part of a larger organization that Mr. White works for, known as Quantum. That is this, like, shadowy organization that is very emblematic of, like, the bonds of, of yesteryear. I'm going to briefly have spoilers for Spectre. You find out in Spectre that Quantum was part of a larger organization <laughs> run by Christoph Waltz's Blofeld. That is Spectre, right? So the reason that is, because clearly in Casino Royale, they're setting up Spectre. They never say Quantum in Casino Royale. They were hoping they would get the rights back. They did not have the rights to the organization of Spectre when they were making these first two. So Spectre became Quantum in Quantum of Solace. Later... After Skyfall, they got the rights back to the Spectre organization. And they're like, oh, we can do it now. That we can just go and do 
Um, which uh, is also and, and, why, again, this is not the Spectre episode, but that's why Mr. White is Inspector again. God, what a mess. They didn't even have a plan, or they had a plan that just was not very good. We'll get to this more next week. I, it's going to be mostly the Casino Royale episode because it's so good. Oh, yeah. And Quantum is a movie. It's a James Bond movie. It really is. And it does some things that I really enjoy, but it's also held back a lot. But Casino Royale, I think the first 20 minutes of Casino Royale are some of the best action storytelling ever put on screen. You learn so much about Bond as a character immediately. It's so mm-hmm. compelling. It's so fun. The opening credits are amazing. It's so fantastic. It's a, it's a hell of an entry point into this new Bond. I also used to not really like You Know My Name, and now it's one of my favorite Bond songs. I've really come around on it. <laughs> it's good. I... Because I, I was so chilled by the Quantum of Solace song. I, I had remembered it being so much better. And I had somehow blocked out that it was like a Jack White feature. And it's not good. The Quantum of Solace opening credits, too, are really bad. Because yeah. the Casino Royale opening is so cohesive. It has such a cool visual language that is tying in so many of the themes of the film with the subject matter of the film. It has references to old Bond movies because I'm pretty sure um, the the guy like Hans Gruber falling in the opening that then turns into all of the, the spades or whatever. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that is a animation match to how the villain dies at the end of View to Kill. Oh, no kidding. I'm not positive about that. I didn't check it, but it's it, it clocks as like a visual reference to that movie to yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, that seems like they could slip that in there for sure. Like, the music is so good. The energy is amped up. Like, coming off the black and white opening to the hyper-saturation of the opening credit sequence. Just that black and white intro to the classic down the barrel of the gunshot. So good. I think that's what we should talk about next, is the way that Casino Royale integrates the classic Bond tropes in a way that they're often subverted or used in a surprising way without it oh, yeah. feeling gimmicky or fan servicey. It's just good writing. It's smart uh implementation of this language of a Bond film. What comes to my mind, one of my favorite throwaways of the entire uh Craig era itself is the uh he goes up and orders a vodka martini, shaking her stir, does it look like I give it to him? That uh, I love it. Love that. It's all at the service of the character and the story in this. That the moment, it's actually technically not the moment that Bond becomes a double O. It's not the moment Bond becomes 007. But in the story, the moment that Bond becomes Bond, when he gets his double O, when he shoots that guy in the bathroom at the beginning, that's when we see the Bond iconography. It's a calling card. It is, here he is, ladies and gents. We just took the last three minutes of this movie setting up this character and already you know who he is you know what kind of bond he is and you're ready to go on the 007 adventure with him oh yeah man absolutely it's so it almost reminds me of and this is a weird comparison spider-man 2 the way that spider-man 2 uses the iconography of the character and specifically of the film that precedes it in order to give depth and extra insight to a character's psyche I feel like that is the same way with the way they use Bond iconography in this film up until the very last frame, you know, of Bond, James Bond, the that drop Ooh, yeah. is so good. It's so good. And it's got this meta narrative of this is the new Bond. James Blonde, I think not. Yeah, man, just it's that Bond, James Bond dropping to the cut to black right into the Bond theme is... Ooh, I squealed with that. That was like the perfect one-two punch right at the end there. Like I was watching it with Kara and like some of the times he would just be doing like suave espionage stuff. And then she'd be like, what is he doing? And then he'd like do one thing and then an explosion would happen that he's like walking away from. And I'd be like, he's doing Bond stuff. That's what Bond does. He's, he's just doing his thing. The action in this is so tight. The moments you're mentioning there are moments where the action is so good at setting stuff up and then paying it off in a surprising way, which, going back to that opening construction sequence, 
where he's running through walls and running up the crane and through oh, the so wall good. of sand. Oh, yeah. That all works so well. But the moment I come back to is the sequence where they're trying to bomb the big plane, which I completely forgot about. I didn't remember that being in this movie. And when he runs up the stair car onto the truck. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so Bond, because that is a Bond moment of him outsmarting his opponent. It's not a completely new character. They are taking those yeah. elements, those situational elements that Bond is so good at exploiting, but they're doing it in a fresh, new, exciting way. Oh, man, yeah. And to, and to just that, <laughs> just the cold nature of this Bond, too. I feel like a lot of times the kills of the old Bond uh, movies, it's either, like, in fast self-defense or, like... I don't know if it feels like personal when Daniel Craig is like looking at that guy in the eyes when he sets off his own bomb that's on his, <laughs> you know, on his smiling. Belt. Yeah, man, he he's like taking some kind of like, I don't know if he's taking pleasure in it, but he's definitely reveling in like defeating his enemies in a way more aggressive way than any other bond before him. It's his ego. I mean, they say it a million times. In oh, this yeah, movie yeah. He is entirely fueled by ego, and it's the first Bond movie to really acknowledge that. And I think the only yeah. other Bond that takes the kind of relish in killing his enemies is Connery. I don't remember which Connery Bond it is, but there's the scene where the car is hanging off the cliff, and he's interrogating the henchman, and he gets the information yeah, he needs, remember. and any other Bond would just leave the car there, and Connery kicks it. Connery kicks oh, the car no. the rest of the way off the cliff. Oh, wow. That's so cold. That's like Schwarzenegger in Commando just dropping that guy off a cliff. I think Craig would do that. I think Craig would do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at the very least, the first hour of Casino Royale, Craig would do it. Sure, yeah. Oh, so cold-blooded, that, that Daniel Craig. You and I were discussing before the movie, there's a huge shift in this movie where it goes from a more typical but very well-executed Bond espionage action film to being something a lot deeper and more complicated than that, and that is initiated with the arrival of Eva Green's Vesper Lind, a character yep. who is so integral to the next several Bond films, and she is doing such a good job. Oh, absolutely. she She's killing it in this, in, in this one, for sure. The elegance of a, a Bond girl, a classic Bond girl, definitely comes through, even though there's, like, a lot of layers in this old Vesper. Can you imagine a, a, a Bond girl that actually has depth and a character and her own no. agency? No, they've always done that, haven't they? Women are uh -huh. people, too, in these movies, right? Honestly, one of the ones that comes the closest is Goldeneye, the other Martin oh, Campbell yeah? one. Sex puns, not this franchise. Get out of here. I mean, they literally have that in this movie, though, because her cover name is Broadchester. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Oh, don't they also have... They have a little... They have a quick little money penny quip that I never caught. Which is so weird, because then money penny in is in Skyfall. <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought. Maybe they just... They weren't sure yet, but, I mean, to just name drop a completely classic character character that this character is not is very strange that that was just a fun little wink that i i enjoyed my mm -hmm. i caught this time it makes sense in context because she is literally she works for the treasury she is the money yeah, exactly but i like the way that she complicates this bond humanizes this bond the movie ultimately doesn't fault her for the actions she takes the fact that she betrays bond i don't think villainizes her in the movie's eyes it might villainize her in bonds well, I mean, let's can I, I I was a little almost confused again watching these movies like the plot itself. She was a double agent because her boyfriend was actually a quantum agent who was manipulating her. There's two parts to this. I'll do the casino one first and then I'll okay, add on the you, terrible quantum addendum. <laughs> okay. In this film, for simplicity's sake, we will just touch on the fact that Mads Mikkelsen, uh, Lashif, is having a card game where he is affiliated with the overall organization of Quantum. Vesper is working for the Treasury and funds Bond's buy-in to the card game. When Bond right. wins the game, Vesper has the funds transferred instead of back to the Treasury, 
her own personal account, which she's then going to take to Quantum because they have her boyfriend hostage and are going to kill him otherwise. That's how it is in Casino. In Quantum of Solace, they kind of retroactively make it that the boyfriend was in on the scam, that he works for Quantum, and that he was just catfishing Vesper. Yeah, okay. A little weird, a little weird to be sure, but it's the classic honeypot that we see a couple times with with Bond himself between these movies and I mean it I guess it does get a little messier that he it does turn out to be like quantum from the inside all along or whatever but Craig and Mark Forrester who did Quantum of Solace clearly wanted to keep the psyche that was established in the first film moving and going and that they just didn't want to make him bond again. Sure. Right. They wanted to keep him as a character who was grounded and they wanted to build off of the events of the previous film. I respect all of that. And I think that they thought the best way to have bond show growth, to have bond show maturity is at the beginning of quantum of solace. He kills everyone. He kills everybody that they need, everybody that's useful. And at the end of the film, this man who is responsible for the death of the only woman that Bond has ever loved, he is able to let his better angels prevail and to take mercy on this on this scumbag and not kill him. And that's the arc that we see Bond go through over Quantum of Solace. It's not executed particularly well, but I enjoy that there was an attempt to honor it. Yeah, that that was an interesting choice. For a whole movie of like him being framed for murdering people left and right, and I mean also personally murdering people left and right out of pure anger, you know, there's, some, there's something to that. I also kind of took away from that that he very much enhanced, interrogated that guy for a while before he let the others in anyway. I don't know if he really took a ton of mercy, but... I don't know. I wish we got to see more of that scene, but again, I think it's probably the writer's strike that's responsible for that. Yeah, I want to yeah. see what this Bond would talk about with this guy. Would he tell him what happened to Vesper? Does he know what happened to Vesper? Does he know what Bond's relationship was with Vesper? Yeah, because that, I that do genuinely be... believe in Casino that they loved each other. Oh, yeah. There's a weird vulnerability in that kind of conversation that we would absolutely never see in any other Bond context. He, he has a big, you know, it's that arrogance, it's that ego, that persona that he puts on mostly and that would be just like a a therapy session at gunpoint it would be bizarre do you have anything much to say specifically about quantum of solace story-wise quantum of solace i think has its moments i enjoy the exploding hotel i enjoy the comeuppance of the villain with having to walk through the desert with only the can of oil i don't think he's a compelling villain and i don't think they earn that moment but i think it's cool nonetheless I like stupid Strawberry Fields, even though she's nothing. I like that she feels so Bondy. Yeah, that's a classic Bond girl move right there. Uh, I like that Very he much... and the lead, Camille, don't have any sex. I think that's cool. I like that they're yeah, just they... both people built on revenge. Yeah, that's that's their personal connection. It's just like, they they have like kind of a goodbye kiss at the end but it wasn't like a sexy romantic thing it was just like a like hey thanks for helping me murder this general guy thank you for <laughs> driving me out of the desert yeah bye forever i i think that stuff works again we'll talk about the writer strike more during our pop culture reference but this is, the script wasn't there the editing of the action sequences is unintelligible i think the plane sequence is okay but that's about it Honestly, to me, I thought the plane sequence was like, <laughs> after after a good minute, I was like, this feels like filler. They were like, all right, we've got 10 minutes that we can do a plane chase oh. where one of the planes has no weapons to fight and is just being chased by a single plane. All the action in Quantum is as long as the action in Casino Royale, except Casino Royale is that long because it has all of these mechanics and all these setups and payoffs that they're building and working with. Yeah. And... Quantum is just gunfights, pretty much, or chases, yeah. or whatever. Um, I, I enjoy the Mathis stuff. 
Oh yeah, I I I love that character in general, and I was very happy to see him back, but also very sad to see him go. Obviously, the main characters that they hold over from Casino into Quantum are Mathis, who apparently didn't betray Bond. That that was all Vesper in Casino Royale. Right, right. Felix Leiter and Felix Leiter's handler, who's just baby-faced David Harbor. Yeah, what a weird. <laughs> That was a surprise. That was definitely before David Harbour was on my radar, obviously. Oh, totally. It was before I couldn't imagine he was in anything else that big. I mean, that was still, a, like, a substantial-ish role. He was the scumbag CIA guy, oh, like that angle. The that scene on the remember. plane where he and Leiter are asked who Bond is, and they both say that I don't know, and then he's like, oh, wait, that is James Bond. That's so good. I like that yeah, so I much. I love that. Yeah, that felt great, for sure. I think Leiter is a great character to bring back to this franchise. And he doesn't come back, does he? I hope he's in No Time to Die. because he, That would the, be so cool. He's such a good character, and this specific version of the character, his heart is in the right place, but he's constantly being asked by the CIA to do things he doesn't want to, morally compromise things. Is so interesting and such a good parallel to Bond, who's constantly going rogue and constantly quitting and yeah, constantly, yeah. like, it's like the Mission Impossibles, where it's like, oh, I can't believe he got disavowed again. That's crazy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I would be I would be thrilled if we went to see No Time to Die and he showed back up again at, like, the call every one moment. I don't know who else even shows up in that moment, but. Edmure hasn't been in any of them since Casino Royale, Judy Dench's little little servant guy. Oh yeah, didn't he just win an Emmy too? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he he's on the crown now. He's really yeah, good on the crown. Yeah. I like that guy, that that British I don't know his name. I always I, just call him Lord Edmure because that's <laughs> who he is to me from the Red Wedding. I mean they kinda replaced him in Quantum of Solace with the the guy from Black Mirror. Rory Kinnear, right? That's his name? Yeah, yeah, that's his name. He's good, Tanner. Character, I think, from the older Bonds. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Kind of like cool. Lighter. I didn't know that. Like, where, like, Lighter was a character from the older Bonds that they reinvigorated. Yeah, I knew that one, but I, I, there, there's a lot of lore that I, I am maybe not as caught up on, for sure. Oh, before we go, I want a quick shout out to my favorite part in Quantum of Solace. This is when that guy, Buster Keaton style, swings a fire axe into his own foot. I loved it. <laughs> that was the best. <laughs> sideshow bob stepping on a rake just like <laughs> taking off his foot it's the movie even knows that he's not a good bad guy <laughs> i know they just they just dunk on him in the final moments of his sad little french life and they still walk him into the desert for a death march see lachif has his inhaler and he has his cool oh, bleeding eye thing. and this we guy has talk- a fire axe in his foot <laughs> yeah that lachif was like I mean, granted, Mads Mikkelsen is, like, the most iconic villain actor that I can think of. It, like, he's top three, like, at least, you know? And he, it's just, like, almost over-the-top evil. Like, he's literally crying blood. But the way he plays it, the subtlety of, like, the the hand on the temple and the playing with the tell during poker, it's just, it's so well done by him and... I'm honestly sad that he dies, like, halfway through that movie. He just gets shot in the forehead, like, but so early in my mind. That's what's so cool structurally about Casino Royale. I was watching it, again, with one of my friends yesterday who had never seen it. And every time something like that happened, she'd go, this movie just keeps giving. That it's <laughs> such an exciting way to experience a film because it changes what it is so That's many true. times. That is true. It has a three-act structure, and it has a solid three-act structure, but it's so good at surprising you, and I think that's what jazzes me up so much about it. It's like watching Aliens, where you're just like, yeah. I have no idea where this is going or how they're going to get out of this. Even the end, where he's sent off on another adventure to, yeah, to go Mr. after White. White. setup. Yeah, dude. Ugh. It, it is re- the movie that keeps on giving, truly. It's such an engaging oh, yeah. watch. I mean, I watched it twice in like 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, man, you you got the full full magnified experience for sure. And, you know, I say I, I wish there was more Le Chief just because he's so good, but you're not wrong when you, like that, it's such a sudden thing too. It's like Bond's getting tortured to big reveals to immediate death for the character that they've been like, 
very much tiptoeing around with all the poker and the money and it is like the surprise that just slaps you across the face before you move on to the to the you know more excitement when they get to Italy. That's one of the other great subversions and weaponizations of Bond lore is that entire torture sequence because one it's brutal. It's just it's the oh, yeah. it's the most disturbing thing in any Bond movie I would say. Yeah, I mean, uh, granted, he is, like, screwing with Lashif by the end, but, like, those screams are but he's pretty good acting. But the fact that Lashif has his whole monologue about how I don't understand these, like, silly ways of torture, the easiest way to break a man, it's so simple. Like, I like the deconstruction, yeah. the, the bare-bonesness, the bornness of... The empty room with the wicker chair with the seat cut out is all you need. Just yeah. uh, and a rope. That's yeah, it. you don't need lasers you don't need sharks with freaking laser beams <laughs> laser attached beams to their freaking the heads head. in addition to that so at the end of that sequence it's also the deconstruction of the bond villain it's this is just a scared desperate man even with all of his crying blood even with all of his his allure his class he's just a dude that is a criminal and he has to answer to a scarier criminal and that's it I think that's what really makes Lashif so compelling, is that he's so human, and most Bond films that are memorable are, are made in some capacity by their villain, and I do not think Casino Royale is contingent on its villain. It, it, its uses of its villain is part of the reason it makes it so memorable and so compelling, but it doesn't entirely rely on that. It's everything about Casino Royale that makes it work. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was just masterfully done this way and as much as i love skyfall and you know i appreciate the other two that i've seen like it they have not been able to recreate that since thus far and i'm 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 thoroughly impressed with what is almost a 20 year old movie casino royale being like peak bond in every single way like that i think there's ways to write a brilliant bond film again but i do not think that there is a more perfect lightning in a bottle set of circumstances than what went into Casino Maybe Royale. Not. They had Maybe the not, right yeah. time, the right director, the right star, the right story all went into it. Man, now, I, now <laughs> talking like that, now it's like making me anxious for No Time to Die. I really want them to go out on a high note. And... Oh, I do too. And I'm excited for No Time to Die still because I, I think mean, there absolutely. are interesting things that Spectre brings up that can be paid off well, especially if they, if they go the Mission Impossible 6 route and make it about all of them. It's a sequel to all Ooh. of the Craig Bonds. Yeah. And and granted, there are... If this is the last Craig Bond that they're doing, uh, for this era of the franchise, like, they are... This is their last movie to pull the trigger on some stuff that maybe they've been sitting on. Maybe ideas, homages, callbacks to classic stuff. Like... You know, some things we've seen already, but if this is their last hurrah with Daniel Craig, it would be it would be a missed opportunity not to kind of cash in on some of those those things that maybe they've been trying to avoid or trying to save in some way. I love Casino Royale, Seamus, and I'm sorry for those of you who turned in for the Quantum of Solace show <laughs> to not talk about Quantum of Solace, but... Uh... There's the guy listening with his Quantum of Solace shirt and his Quantum of Solace foam fingers just crying right now. To any fans of lesser James Bond movies, next week we're doing Spectre, so tune back in. We will talk about Spectre, though, because... There's things that happen in that. There's, like, at least more interesting set pieces besides, like, the intro of Quantum, where they exactly, do the Tokyo like... Drift, a car rolling down a steep cliff uh, road, you know? <laughs> The first thing I said was, oh my god, it's like uh, Fast and the Furious, and Kara was like, shut up, shut up about Fast and the Furious. But I really do love Casino Royale. Quantum of Solace is a perfectly serviceable James Bond movie. It is a it's fine it, companion. It's a mid-tier Bond movie, and the only reason yeah. I think it's as lauded as it is is because it's trying to do something that it doesn't quite pull off. Agreed. I also said lauded, which is not the word I meant to say, but you guys understand what I meant. You're going you're gonna to be editing this and just, like, hop on your recording equipment to record a single word insert. Maligned. Maligned. <laughs> Should we move on to our pop culture reference, Seamus? Let's move on to our pop culture reference and keep talking about Quantum of Solace. There's going to be more Quantum of Solace talk in this than there is in the actual main <laughs> oh, segment, I is. think. 
that foam finger guy is gonna get his he's gonna get his money's worth. This week's pop culture reference is the 2007 to 2008 writer strike. Between November of 2007 and January of 2008, all 12,000 members of the Writers Guild of America went on strike. Based on the massive profits from larger studios, this union sought to increase the overall compensation rate for all television and film writers in America. The strike lasted 100 days, and NPR estimates it cost the LA economy $1.5 billion. It is unclear what the ultimate resolution of the strike was, though writers did begin to receive a percentage of the distributor's gross of digital distribution. Because of the unfortunate timing of this strike, massive projects like Quantum of Solace were being affected throughout production. For Quantum of Solace, a semi-finished script that was comprised of writer Paul Higgins' script and director Mark Forster's ideas was used, along with parts of other script drafts from the original writers of Casino Royale. Forster and Craig were often writing and rewriting scenes the night before or even the morning of shooting the film, which definitely contributed to the overall lack of cohesion throughout the story, I would say. Though, looking back, you know, 13 years later at this strike, even though it messed up so much TV, so much film production, the fact that they had the foresight to get on, quote, new media and address the streaming boom before it got out of hand... Imagine if you were trying to negotiate the way that streaming works now. Oh my god, it would be impossible. Everything would be so tied up. They they really kind of took that crusade on themselves in, in 2007. Definitely something that impacts almost everything made around this time. And Quantum of Solace, I think, is probably one of the most notorious casualties of this strike. Yeah, as you said before, you can kind of tell there's a there's kind of they're flying by the seat of their pants in some of the parts of Quantum of Solace. But overall, I would say for the circumstances that they were under when producing this movie, just writing the story itself, they kind of came out pretty okay. Like you were saying before, they made a lot of the money back on the production, and you know it could have been it could have been a lot worse considering that they were kind of Frankensteining their story together as they went. Shall we move on to Save the Rec Center? Let's do it. Now it's time to Save the Rec Center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what do you have this week? My Rec Center this week is the new album Montero that was recently dropped by Lil Nas X. I absolutely love this album. It was, it was, you know, it has a lot of really good hits that, you know, like uh, Industry Baby and all that, but... A lot of the music nobody had heard until this album dropped, and I was absolutely like, "There's really no bad songs in this whole album." I enjoyed all of them. There's really cool features with like Doja Cat, and my favorite song, uh, "One of Me," has Elton John doing the piano arrangements and performing. It's it's definitely a, an impressive album for somebody. I mean, it's his debut album as well, so. To have such a heavy hitter right off the bat is is totally impressive. And the entire album on YouTube, each individual song, uh, even if it doesn't have a fully produced music video, has some kind of animated CG visual element to each one that I would definitely recommend uh, checking out on, on YouTube if you get the chance. I haven't seen those YouTube videos yet, but that is a stellar album. Oh, you you liked it, right? It it was oh so good. It I, it adds just a little bit to have the little like animation loops, just because I know that he is a big fan of having those uh, flashier visual elements to his pieces. Some of them aren't super long or anything, but they're you know still interesting, like uncanny valley virtual Lil Nas X doing weird stuff. So it's cool. It's cool stuff. But what do you got this week, Garrett? Well, in honor of the passing of Willie Garson, who died this week, uh, Sex and the City star, probably what he's best known for. You probably know him best, Seamus, for being the guy that bothers Bill Murray at the beginning of Groundhog Day. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I knew him from. Uh, I really have always been taken with the series White Collar from USA Network starring Matt Bomer and... Willie Garson is kind of his little sidekick. Not really. It's like he's almost like his cue that he's the guy that oh. can get him stuff, that knows people, that they're they're con men. 
and it's a catch me if you can esque situation where there's this art thief, art forger who is now working with the FBI to catch oh, criminals. That sounds and like a really cool idea. It's that classic USA Network forty minute drama, but it's really lighthearted and kind of comedic, like a psych or a monk. Oh, which I like that. They were so good at those back in the mid-2000s, and those have just kind of gone away now. And the USA's the only network that I can think of that ever really did them with any regularity. God, yeah, I guess that was all on USA. I love White Collar. There's definitely dips in quality throughout the whole thing, but the characters are really charming and fun. There's a lot of actors on there that you would go on to see in way bigger stuff. Alexandra Daddario has a really important role in the first couple seasons. Oh, right on. Matt Bomer is absolutely terrific, of course, as is Willie Garson. So I really recommend checking it out. It's just a fun, casual series with a surprisingly satisfying series finale, which you don't often get with those kinds of shows. Right on, man. I'm into that. Do you, do you know if it's streaming anyway right now? All six seasons are on Hulu. Nice. Very nice. Disney's got us again. Well, I think that wraps us up for the show this week. If you want to contact the show on social media, that's at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, and on TikTok. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, and you can subscribe and like our content on YouTube as well. James Bond will return in next week's episode of Pop Culture Reference in <laughs> Skyfall and Spectre. Oh, that's gold. I, I did love those little Avengers tags at the end there. And they've been doing it forever. That's the I thing. That's the wonderful it. thing about James Bond. <laughs> oh, ahead of the curve. Ahead of the curve. Oh, but until then, adios, amigos. Is that Connery? Is that supposed to be Connery? Yeah, that's a Connery. You don't like my... Oh, my, my big jowly Connery. <laughs> <laughs>